Awesome. Well, welcome to Church of the Rock. Uh, my name is Mike Beecraft. It is an honor uh, to be with you guys again. Um, and this is the last of our series, uh, Heart After God, talking about David. And uh, like it was already mentioned, unfortunately, I am also heralding in the end of our Canadian summer, which is the most short and fleeting season, but also the one that we just uh, milk for all of its worth. Um, this morning, obviously, I'm going to be talking about David. And this is a... Um, this is probably the most exciting way to end uh, this morning, and that is to be talking about David, and we're going to be looking at um, 2 Samuel chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to be pretty much reading the entire chapter uh, throughout the course of our time uh, together this morning. And so uh, if you have a Bible in paper form, if you have the Bible digitally, does anybody actually have like a, a, a paper, paper Bible here? If you do, just kind of hold it up and show me that they still exist. All right, awesome. I have one right here too, so I know they exist, but they're not very convenient, are they? So it's nice to have it uh, pocket size on your smartphone. Well, I'm going to start reading in um, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 1, and this is, this is right after uh, David uh, basically dances around in his underwear before God because he's excited about what God is doing. Uh, and his wife is not too thrilled about that, and he comes to her and says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get more contemptible than this. <laughs> Little did she know that was true if we read on in David's life. Uh, there would be certain contemptible moments that a wife would not appreciate. Uh, cough Bathsheba. But um, he said, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be a base in your eyes, but I will be, uh, by the female servants of whom you have spoken, they, I will be held in honor. And, and this is right before um, David, last time I was with you, I talked about uh, how David showed kindness and love that transcended logical reason to Mephibosheth, uh, who was one of, in, in Saul's family, and he reinstated to Saul uh, everything with his father's house, and had Mephibosheth eat at his table and be in his house until the day that he died. So this is right smack in the middle of that. And it says, now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, you know, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar. I love cedar. I love the smell of cedar. When I was a kid, I hated the smell of cedar. Now I love the smell of cedar. It's a weird thing, but I do. He says, see, I live in a nice wooden house. But he goes, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Maybe there's some avid campers out here that wouldn't mind that, but I am not one of those people. Uh, as a family, we thought to ourselves, you know what? We have two kids. We should go camping. I went camping as a kid, and we went, like, for real camping. We went backwoods. It wasn't a KOA sitting by a roadside here in the 401, you know, with a, with a campfire. It was we drove up to a place called Metachuan, and we went, drove in, and there was branches scraping the side, and we got out and built a little log, put, throw some tents down, and we camped for a week. And the same outfit that I ar arrived in is the same outfit I went home in to my mother, and all she could see was the whites of my eyes, because I was just filthy, smelled like fish guts and nature's beauty. So we thought, you know, my children need to have this kind of experience in their life. So we 
we bought a lot of the camping stuff. We got a tent. Thankfully, I was able to borrow a lot of stuff from my dad. And we, you know, got some necessities. We went camping. Hated it. I don't know what happened to me. Maybe my mother's side of the family won out, but hated it. Dwelling in a tent is not for me. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say, can I get an amen, but I didn't need to because it just happened. But so David sees this situation. He's like, okay, I'm in a house of cedar. God is in a tent. I think I will, I'll build God a house, is what he says. So he goes, see now, I do, and, the, and the, the Nathan, Nathan said to the king, well, go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Nathan's like, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's get God, let's get the Ark of the Covenant out of a tent, and let's get it into a house. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? Kind of a funny question, coming from the creator of all things, that a man is going to build a house for God. Hey, God, move in beside me. Be my neighbor. And he said, I have not lived in a house since the day I was brought up the people from Israel, from Egypt, to this day. And I have not been, have I not been moving about in a tent for my dwelling? In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I not speak a word with any of my judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? He's like, I didn't ask anybody. I didn't ask you, David, build me a house. I'm a little uncomfortable in this tent. And he says, now, therefore, thus you shall, you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, this was David's humble beginning. We all know this. We remember this. That's where David was found when they, when they were looking for him, when, when Samuel was looking for him to anoint him king. Well, do you have any other sons? Yeah, there's one, but he's in the fields with the sheep. Jesse was told, bring all your sons. So he brought some of his sons. I don't know about you, but if the prophet is rolling up to choose one of my kids... As a dad, I'd kind of want them all to be there. If he says, bring all your sons, he thought, I'll bring the good ones. I'll bring, the, I'll bring the ones that look kingly. I'll bring the ones that look like they're battle-hardened. But no, David stayed back. But God, he says, I brought you from the pasture for following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. So from the pasture to a prince, from in a field sleeping beside sheep, which I'm sure would be comfortable because they're quite woolly. But he says, I've been with you. I've taken you from the pasture, and now you are living in a palace. You, you have just, it said, now the king, you're not just David, shepherd boy, you are the king who is living in the house. This is what, this is what God has done. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the great name of the ones of the earth. Ooh, a great name, like the ones of the earth. Who is that? Maybe that's the Abrahams, maybe that's the Moseses, maybe that's the Noahs that he's talking about. Maybe there's kings of the time that were renowned around David's known world, and, and God is saying, you're going to be like one of those. He says, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them 
so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall, not, shall afflict them no more as formerly. From that time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. We know he was sinning in that because it says in verse 1, the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. He's like, that's going to continue with what I'm up to. He says, I will give you rest over all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. See, David starts out, he's got this desire. I want to build God a house. I got some experience. Well, maybe I don't. I got lots of servants that can build this house for God. I got the resources. God should not be in a tent. He should be in a house. It's a good, it's a good desire. Maybe it comes from a place of a, of a little bit of guilt as he's living in the lap of luxury and he looks over at the Ark of the Covenant and it's like, in this little tent blowing in the wind. Hmm, maybe, maybe God's, not, God's not in such great shape over there. Like if I'm comparing, maybe I need to build God a, maybe I need to build God a house. But God takes it and he says, I've never asked anybody to build me a house. A house is not what I need. On the contrary, David, I don't need you to build anything for me. Because guess what I've been doing this whole entire time in your life, David? I have been building you a house. David, the only reason that you're sitting in the palace is because I took you from the pasture and I made you a prince. See, God is going to make a house for David. And God continues on. Not only is he going to build him a house, because he's like, well, yeah, I know, God. I'm sitting in a house right now. It's beautiful. It's a palace. It's great. Made of cedar. Favorite wood. He says, I will make you a house, and when your days are fulfilled, and you will lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And just like those words echoed in this big gym, I'm sure those words echoed in David's heart. I will establish his kingdom forever. Ever, 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 ever. David's like, wow, that's a long time. And he says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But listen to this. Ooh, this gives me the... This gives me the shivers. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. My steadfast love will not depart from him. Well, we know that because we, we, we live in that every day, you and I. God's steadfast love is not departing from you and from me. Why? Well, because of what Jesus has done. We, we, should, we need to understand that down in our core. That regardless of my, my sinfulness cannot remove God's steadfast love from me because my faith is placed in Jesus and his record of righteousness has been given to me. And that's, wow. Because if you know me, you would say wow as well. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you. He's like, I've done this. You know, David. Saul disobeyed. He was the king. His kingdom was going to be established. His son would have been king. Then that son would have been king. And the king and the king and the king and the king. But guess what? Saul screwed up. Saul's sinfulness, God said, you know what? 
I'm removing, because he says, I, but I, my steadfast love, I will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul. He says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. And in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. David wants to build God a house. Nathan says, that's a good idea. Do what's ever in your heart. God's with you. Nathan comes, God speaks to David, uh, or sorry, God speaks to Nathan. Um, Nathan, I don't need a house. David doesn't need to build anything for me. I'm building something for him. Go tell him that. He does. David hears it. What does he do? He's got his plans laid out. Maybe he started scribbling how the house of God was going to look. Maybe the ornate details and maybe the, 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 beautiful, the beautiful altar that the Ark of the Covenant was going to be sat on. And, and maybe he already called in the architects and, and all these things. He was drawing and he was planning, he was preparing, he was ready to build. But then when King David heard this, in 2 Samuel verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and he sat down. Whew, what a powerful reaction. Seems simple, but it is deeply profound. This is the best thing David could have done. He, he went into God, God's presence and he sat down and he thanked God. He didn't say, but God, no, I want to build this thing for you. And God, oh, he didn't argue. God said, I'm going to build you a house, and my steadfast love will endure with you forever, and I will not remove it. Even if there's imperfection, even if there's sin, which we know there will be, because guess what? Read 2 Samuel chapter 9. Or sorry, chapter, I want to give you an accurate depiction, chapter 11. We won't go there this morning. God knows it's coming, but he says, yet I will not remove my steadfast love from you. David went in, and he sat down, and he said, who am I? Man, he's humbled. He gets it. He gets in this moment what, how he was not wrong in his desire to build God a, God a house, but that his emphasis was on the wrong thing. His emphasis is on what he could build for God versus his emphasis and focus and energy being poured into how God, what God is building for him. I don't know about you, but I've been, in, I've been guilty of that. I get caught up in, God, look what I'm going to build for you. Look at this life. Look, look, look at this faithfulness. Look at this family. Look, look at this church. Look at this ministry. Look at this job. Look at this faithfulness that I built for you. And God's saying, hmm, impressive. He's like, I think I remember taking dirt and forming it into the shape of a body and then breathing my very breath of life and that dirt became something like you. But God's more loving. God is less condescending than I am. And David sits down. He says, who am I? And then he says, and yet this is a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. For a great while to come. Uh, forever, David. He couldn't even really wrap his mind around it. For a great while to come. Uh, no. For a great while to come is, he, I, I said forever, David. It was forever. Oh, for a great while to come. Like he's even, he's, he can't even believe it. He's, he's struggling with it for himself. And he says, and 
you've spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this instruction for, for mankind, O Lord God, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O God, and because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O God, for there is none like you. There is no one besides you. And I don't know about you, but that brings me to that old song, and maybe for you it's like, whoa, 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 don't call that an old song. Um, that, that song that there is none like you. Do you know it? I don't know if you ever sang it. There is none like you. You remember that one? No one else can touch my heart like you do. You remember that one? Oh, oh. Wow, I, went, I, went, I was reading this, I went right back. I went right back. I will search for all eternity long. Oh, I'm butchering it this morning, but it's all good. Yeah, <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna get requests now, worship team. Let's bring that one back. I don't know, maybe we keep that one right where it is. I don't know. I don't know. You can YouTube that one later. Watch one of those nice lyrical videos. It says, there is none like you, no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, one nation on, on, on earth whom God you went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. Like, if that is, notice there's no mention of Moses. He's talking exactly about Moses taking the people of Israel. Moses part of the Red Sea. But David understood. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Moses that did these great things. It was God that did these great things. And you have established yourself, your people Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house. See, he, he gets it now. Confirm forever. Now, now the penny drops. Not for a great while to come, but it's now it's forever. He's getting it. Do, he says, and do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever. The Lord of hosts is God of Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord, o, o Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, has made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Man, it's just resounding because he came, God, I'm going to build you a house. Uh, no, I got something else in mind. God, I will build you. God's saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer for you. Notice, even to pray this prayer, it took courage in David's heart. David's heart. Courage is not up on this list, but we know David had a heart of courage. You don't stand up against Goliath unless you're trusting God for a few things. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer. And now, O Lord God, you are God. Your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. You, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Whew! And what was his posture when he prayed these things? He went in. And he sat down as God began to, began to unpack for him the fact that, no, David, you're not building for me. I'm building for you. And what I'm building for you 
David couldn't even really comprehend the, the, the gravity of, of what God was really talking about. He thought, oh, maybe we'll have like, maybe he thought like a lineage, a line, like just the, it, it'll go forever and then, and then it'll, I'll just, this, this, this reign of, of my household will just, will just never end. So you're probably wrestling with what that looked like. But what God is talking about here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 does not have to do with a castle and a king and some servants and some authority here on earth, but the covenant that God makes with David is all about Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, it's not Christmas, but I'm going there. Luke chapter 1, to be read, more than just a Christmas. Luke chapter 1, Angel shows up to Mary. Mary's like, uh, how's it going? Paraphrase, obviously. I'm not reading some weird translation. The street translation. Uh, the angel said to her, do not, pre do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. There it is. How many years later, from 2 Samuel chapter 7 to Luke 1 verse 32, this is being established. And it says, and, the, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, ever, ever, ever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Because if you know anything about any of the Old Testament books after 2 Samuel chapter 7, it's interesting because when God is saying to David, he, he lists a few things that, that will happen, that will be a, a part. He says, I will appoint a place for my people. I will plant them. They will dwell in their own place. They won't be disturbed. Violent men will afflict them no more. Okay, well, read a little bit. Uh... Read uh, some of the Psalms, read, read some Proverbs, read, oh wait, we have the book of Isaiah, interesting, uh, we've got, oh we've got Jeremiah, okay, yeah, um, we keep flipping through here, oh we got Ezekiel, yeah, all these books are all just sunshine and rainbows by the way, where the, all it was was the people of Israel, uh, you know, going through a, a field of daisies, uh, high-fiving each other, sipping on milk and honey, uh, nope, uh, captivity, isolation, some lions, maybe a little bit of fire. Not at all what God had laid out here in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we ask ourselves the question, well, was, was God lying? Or was God late? Was God exaggerating a little bit? Or was God giving David false hope? No, God, the kingdom, the house that God was building is his kingdom and his house. And that is higher and greater than our ways. And that kingdom, David's sinfulness and the sinfulness of David's descendants could not and would not derail this kingdom, this house that was being built. 
Because 2 Samuel chapter 7, when the, uh, the people will be planted, there will be no, there, there will be no, no one will disturb them. Violent men will not afflict them. That's what Jesus is about. That's what Jesus came to do for you and for me. I won't go to Revelation 21 this morning, but read it. We win. Jesus wins. All things become new. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. There'll be no... They'll just be in the presence of God. Wow. Not yet. Even when our plans fail, God's plan, God keeps building. That's why the Word of God said that who is building his church? He says, I am building my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, uh, I can look around and it could seem like mm, hell may be prevailing a little bit in certain situations that I find myself in or that I find the world in. Where, uh, there's situations like that going on in the world right now where for, for certain people, it just seems like, like it's hell on earth. But yet God's saying, no, what I'm building, David, that it transcends this earthly life, what I'm building, the place that I'm preparing, that can't be shaken by any of this. And you and I, as believers, can take a, whew, a big sigh of relief, and we can sit down, and we can thank God that even if my life looks awful from this point out, I know that God's faithfulness remains. I know that the house he's building is unshaken by any of it. And I know that there's, there is a day coming. And Jesus needed to remind his, disciple this, his disciples of this in John 14. John 14 in, in verse um, 3. Jesus starts out this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Because guess what? We look around, our hearts can be troubled. He says, believe in God, also believe in me. In my Father's house, remember he's building a house, there are many rooms. God be uh, Jesus begins to give his disciples a little picture of what he was building, what he, what, he, what he said he was building back in the days when he talked to David. He goes, guess what? This place is big. There's a lot of rooms. They're thinking, oh, maybe it's how big? I always like to think of a big mansion, how many rooms could be in there. I don't even think we can really comprehend that. Um, we definitely don't want to be cleaning a place like that. Um, it says, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Woo! He said, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am going you may be also. Man, Jesus is looking at these, these 12 guys right now, and they're a motley crew. <laughs> and he says, guys, don't be troubled. Because they're like, Jesus, how, how do you're leaving? You're saying you're leaving? Like, how do we come with you? How do we get there? How do we follow you? He's like, don't worry, guys. I'm making a place for you. In my father's house, there's many rooms. I'm preparing a place for you. And I'm, I'm not just going to hope that you will stumble and find it. Here's the GPS coordinates. No. He says, I'm coming back. And I'm going to take you by the hand, and I'm going to lead you there. Whoo, I love it. 
I will come again and I will take you to myself. Where I am going, you will be there also. And you, and you know the way to where I am going. He said, you know the way. And of course, Thomas. Lord, we don't know. Where are you going? He freaks out. How can we know the way? Like They're like, if you're going to go, like we don't know how to follow you. He's like, tell me, give me the route, give me the directions. I don't want to stop and ask. He said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's the refrigerator verse. Bam! What's the context? The context is, man, Jesus is building something for you and for me. And not only that, he's not going to hope that we just stumble into the way. He's going to come to us, he's going to take us, he's going to lead us there himself. This is the fulfillment of, of, of what of what God was talking to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is why the weightiness of, of, G, of David not even be able to really comprehend it. He just goes into the presence of God and he sits down on his butt and he says, Who am I that you would do this great thing? Who? And God's like, you're asking the wrong question. It's not who are you, it's who am I? See, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. Jesus is the one who is planting us that we may dwell in him, like the promise he gives in 2 Samuel chapter 10 or uh, chapter 7, verses uh, 10 and 11. Jesus has made it that no violence shall afflict us. Jesus is giving us rest from all, our, our, all of our enemies, and Jesus is the one that is building a house for you and for me. You know, maybe this morning you're... I've been there many times where I, I got my eyes fixed on my plan, my building, what I can do for God. And that is, that is good. I'm not saying leave this place and do nothing for God. No, we know we're encouraged to do all things as unto the Lord. We know that's the truth. But if my eyes are so fixed on my plans, what I can build for God, that I'm not looking at what God is building, not just for me, not just selfishly for Mike, but knowing that what God is building for me is so much bigger than me, it includes you, it includes everybody in this place, it includes everyone who would take their faith and place it in, place it in Jesus and say, Lord, I believe you are who you said you are, I believe you are the Son of God, I believe that you died and you rose again for me, and I believe and I trust that you are building a place, you're building a house for me. And you're going to come and you're going to lead me into that place that I can be with you forever. You know, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're in this gym. Maybe you're looking at me on your laptop or your phone. Man, I, I don't want to leave this place without giving you the opportunity to say, maybe for the first time, God, I'm setting down my plans and I place my faith in Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Right now, where you are, just say, God, Jesus, I need you. I place my faith in you. Save me, Jesus. Put me in that place where I may dwell with you. I am planting you. Put me in that place where there will be no violence shall afflict me. Put me in that place where, Jesus, you're giving me rest from all, our, all my enemies. Jesus, put me in that place where I know you are building and preparing a way for me. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about, you're not going to fall and scrape your knee. I'm not talking about, you may even uh, die in a sickness 
What I am talking about, the kingdom I am talking about, the faith that I am talking about, transcends what this, what this life can throw at you. Because it is not a, it is not a uh, protective bubble gospel here on this earth where as soon as I accept Jesus, nothing is going to hurt me. No. Many Christians right now are not holding on to the fact that their situation might get better but they're holding on to the fact that they know of a place that has been prepared that will ultimately and forever be not just better, but the best and perfect because Jesus has prepared it for them. That's what causes us to be able to hold on to our faith through difficulty and trial and tribulation. The disciples did not die nice deaths. They did not close their eyes on on a nice goose-down pillow and, and drift away into glory. No, they, they suffered. And they didn't see it as defeat because they knew where the victory was. And the victory is not here on this earth. The victory is with Jesus in the house that he's building. So if you've never placed your faith in Christ this morning, I want to encourage you to do that. If, if you've done that, maybe you've already done that. Maybe you muted me already and you just accepted Jesus. Uh, let the team know. We want to rejoice with you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to, we want to become undignified like David got undignified. We're not going to dance around in our underwear because I would maybe like to be invited back at some point. <laughs> but we want to rejoice with you. And this morning, maybe you've been busy. Maybe you've been busy building that you've taken your eyes off what God is building, and I know I've been there. And we need to sit, and we need to thank God. And we're going to worship. We're going to worship God, and as we do that, we have the opportunity to place our faith in Him, maybe for the very first time. We have the opportunity to maybe be humbled in a moment and sit and thank God for how big He is. Let's go and let's worship together. Thank you so much.